Right. Well, congratulations, everybody. I know your time is super duper valuable. Uh, Tom Miller here, and, and I just really wanted to get on this call today to share with you um, some really critical data and, and, and three, three important questions that you need to answer uh, as, a, as a public charter school leader. Uh, so let me first just welcome everybody. We've got folks here on this call that are part of our, our regular Blueprint for Charter Success program, uh, and that's a weekly uh, mentorship call uh, that we have that provides resources to uh, public charter school leaders. And then we've opened up this call uh, for anybody uh, who, who would like to learn and, and, you know, and see what the Blueprint program is about. Uh, this, this information that we, that we have utilized as a team has helped uh, charter schools that we've worked with over the last year, 50% um, of them, five out of 10, increased the report card grade one full letter last year uh, based upon answering these three questions and the information I'm gonna share with you today. And 40% took their uh, growth score from met or not met to exceeding, right? It's, these are critical, critical questions that I'm going to address uh, today uh, during this talk. And again, and you have the ability to unmute yourself um, as you come in, and we are recording uh, this call. So if you have to hop out, uh, the you know the archive will be sent to you. But uh, but you know, uh, folks who who uh, stay the whole time, uh, we will you know we will be talking about um, the uh, program, uh, the Blueprint for Success program at the end. Uh, so let's get started. Um, again, very very excited about this call. So. Some of you may know me, um, but during my first seven years as an exceptional children's teacher, uh, I was honestly never sure if the schools that I taught for were actually successful. Um, if, if they were indeed successful, uh, we weren't really provided any specific formula um, to, to you know, determine that sex, uh, success. And my, my just immediate re reaction would be, it was honestly from the really talented teachers uh, that, that we had in play. Um, so, like, especially the ones that were really effective in just reaching out to students, building relationships with the students, and, and um, it could have been my giant ego that got in the way, but I don't believe that the teachers in the schools I taught in, honestly, had much direction. Uh, the leadership wasn't very tuned into improving student achievement and closing the achievement gap. But however, in my eighth year, so those first seven years were in a, a traditional public school system. In my eighth year, I transferred uh, to a public charter school, which is a charter day school in uh, Brunswick County. And it had an incredibly clear vision of their education plan and how, as a school, we were going to meet the needs of all students. And it was clear that we still needed talented teachers to carry out this program with success. But however, the less talented teachers, right, the ones who weren't equipped yet, uh, did not stand out as much as they did in my previous organizations that I've worked with. So during my years as both a teacher at Charter Day School and a principal, on average, 85% or more of the students passed the end of grade test. It's a it's a Title I school, it's a rural school in uh, Brunswick uh, County, and I still give most of the credit to the talent and the diligence of the teachers and the instructional coaches, but however, the combination of clarity, of the clarity and the alignment of the education plan honestly made everybody's job so much easier. Our instructional team didn't have to spend a great amount of time or, or energy creating content or lesson plans. And in addition, because every classroom teacher was expected to carry out the instructional program the same way, it was very obvious when someone was not. Now, 
I'm 42 years old, and so some of you may be around my age or, or maybe remember this, but if you watch Sesame Street as a kid, remember that song? One of these things doesn't look like the other. That was so obvious in our school. If, if, if someone's education plan, if someone's implementation of the instructional practices that were expected were not in the same direction. So when, when uh, principals and the, and the coaches completed their, their two required walkthroughs each day, they could easily identify which teachers were strong models, right? And which ones need to be challenged to take their class to the next level. Right to those teachers that really just needed more training and support. And it was multiple tiers. It was so obvious because we had clarity. You know, because our school had this clarity in the education plan as a principal, I was able to focus my time on one, providing thoughtful instructional feedback to teachers, uh, nurture and grow a talented teachers into leadership positions, uh, strengthen and never really revamp the school's education plan through evaluative experiences plan relevant data-driven professional development programs which were aligned to the curriculum in this specific process. We, we utilized common assessments to monitor student progress. Uh, we built systems of prevention and intervention to improve student learning, communicate to families about our academic program, build relationships with students by placing them in opportunities for success, recruit teachers who would thrive in our program and have a, a great succession planning for those um, you know, who, who were um, uh, promoted or, you know, may have left us over time. We were able to take more risks and offer extensions of the curriculum and really just provide a daily environment conducive for student learning. I mean, that, that list of 10 items is what every principal dreams about. See, as a leader, it's all right to be uncertain, but it's never all right to be unclear. Okay, so ask yourself, how much time and energy is taken from your day due to the lack of having a clear education plan? How much time of your day is taken due from not, not having a clear education plan? So the, you know, the academic success of uh, public charter schools is, is, as a whole is, 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 is mixed, right? And there's lots of studies out there that you can read and there's always comparisons versus charter versus traditional public school. And, and I'm here to tell you, that's all irrelevant. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter, right? The charter schools, the public charter schools that are most successful have leaders and teachers who know the answer to this first question, and they know it very, very well. How would you describe your school's education plan? You see, the most, most effective leaders, they, they understand that the more they know and the more that they want to see, right? So, they, they understand the more they know what they really want to see, right? They have to know what they want. They have to be able to visualize what that education plan looks like and where the school's education plan is going, right? What's the end in mind? If you're a K-5 school, what, is a, what does a fifth grader look like when they leave your school, an eighth grader or, you know, 12th grade, whatever it may be? Effective charter school leaders clearly identify and communicate the key tenets of the school's education plan, the instructional vehicle, in which the teachers will utilize to implement it, and the systems and assessments in which they will utilize to ensure student mastery. Because those three parts, they know what they teach, they know how they're going to teach it, and they know how they have metrics in place to check. Okay, what are we teaching? How are we teaching it? And what are those systems in place? And I double dog dare you to find one school leader and staff 
of an underperforming charter school that can provide you a clear answer to that question? They can't because it doesn't exist. So when the school leader's thoughts and, and uh, communication of the school's education plan are muddled, that's when the voices of others, the distracting chaos in which schools you know, live in many times, they start to win the battle between the plan and reality, okay? The plan versus the culture. So we're gonna dive into these three questions right now, okay? We're gonna break these down. The first question is, you might wanna write this down. What will students learn today? What will students in my class learn? Or even, you know, as a whole, there's different levels. So what will students learn? The second question is, how will you know that they've learned it? And the third question is, what will we do if they don't learn it? And what will we do if they do learn it? And that's kind of a A and B of question three. So what will students learn? How will we know that they've learned it? And what will we do if they don't? So let's dive into the first question. What will students learn? So I remember consulting with a charter school uh, uh, years ago, a few years ago, and just asking the leadership team what I thought was a softball question. What's the curriculum of the school? And of the five members of the team, we received four different answers. One brave soul went out on a limb and said, the North Carolina Common Core and Essential Standards? And I looked around the room and asked the second question. If the five people in this room do not know what it is that the students are supposed to learn, how in God's green earth are the 30 people that are actually teaching going to know? So the question I get most asked here about education plans is, which education plan works the best for just fill in the blank? At-risk students, gifted students, economically disadvantaged, rich, poor, lazy, smart, blue, doesn't matter, right? I look back at them and I say, oh gosh, I love that question. Come in close, come in close. Let me gather close because I don't want you to miss the answer. And they start leaning in as if I'm going to share the secrets of the universe. I just say to them, you ready? The education plan that's implemented with fidelity. That's it. That's the plan that works. The one you actually implement with fidelity. Every diet will work. Every workout plan will work if you work it. You got to know what you're working to get there. So just like you, they fall back in their seat and, and disappointment. And, but it's true. An education plan that's clearly communicated and implemented consistently over time will ultimately bring the best results in student achievement. The most successful charter schools, they, take, they make minor tweaks and adjustments based upon the analysis and the feedback they receive from their assessments, their observations, their teacher feedback that they gain from asking teachers questions and students when they're leading by walking around the building. They never shift away from the foundational core question, what will students learn? And effective instructional leaders know that they can't make decisions in a silo or a top-down format. They understand that all of the information is in the hands of the teachers. So any adjustments made they have to start from a bottom-up approach. You gotta get as close to the problem as possible to be able to solve it. 
And this combination of clarity, informed decision-making and sustainable planning allows teachers to not only master the curriculum taught, they strengthen it every single year through evaluative experience. And this, this will lead us to question number two. How will we know students have learned what was taught? So I have the privilege of walking the halls and working with over 100 school principals so far uh, in North Carolina and uh, Arizona and uh, Florida and Indiana. Uh, and I ask every principal questions about how do you know the education plan is working and what assessment tools do you utilize? So, so I, I've got a list here of the five most common characteristics that I found uh, in these schools that I'm going to share with you. But, you know, one of the things I want to talk about is, is uh, our uh, principal's consortium. Uh, so last week, if you remember the consortium, you got, or two or three weeks ago, you got to go to Triangle Math and Science Academy here in, in Wake County in uh, Cary. And their leadership team spent a good 30 to 40 minutes. Now, Triangle Math and Science has been an A-plus school. In fact, I believe they're the only A-plus school uh, of the new schools that have opened since 2012. I don't know. There's maybe one other school that achieved an A, but anyway, an, an A-plus school. They spent 45 minutes talking to us about their, um, their process for uh, reteaching students, right? Their processes for interventions and catching up kids with Saturday Academy and extra classes during the day and, and how they're checking for understanding. And I just looked around the room at the other 20 principals and I was like, there's schools in here that are C's, D's, and F's that don't do as much work as they're doing for an A plus school. In fact, some of them don't have anything in place. That's why that they're there. Right. That's why they're having a hard time shifting, right? Leaders shifting the school to the next level. If a school that's an A plus can do all that work, that's why they're an A plus and that's why they've sustained success. Right. And I guarantee if you, you know, Lake Norman Charter School were there, they've exceeded growth for six straight years in a row. They're one of only three schools that have done that. Henderson Collegiate, same thing. Like they have they are constantly monitoring student progress because they know what they're teaching and they have a system to understand, uh, to learn what has been taught, right? So these, so these five, these five right here, and I'll share these back out um, so you have them in case you miss it. But number one is a common formative assessment, data collection and analysis process to ensure students are being taught at the appropriate level demonstrating growth and mastering concepts, right? So they, so they do some sort of maybe start of the year, right, and are constantly checking to make sure students are being taught where they are, not where they should be. Okay, where they are, not where they should be, right? If you heard a teacher say, well, you should have learned that last year in third grade. Okay, well, it's your job to reteach them that third grade skill, what, do, what you know, process do you have in place? Number two is a quarterly common benchmark assessment program um, to uh, uh, determine student growth and drive future instruction, right? So this could be based on whatever, whether it's cumulative or, or just what's taught in that corner. They have something in place uh, to, to, to move that, right? And they, they have, and let, you, know, you, know, let, you know, let me preface this, they have one thing in place. They don't have six different assessments telling them all these things. They have one, right? Keep it easy. 
keep the cookies on the bottom shelf, right? Just pick it. This is the best assessment that's going to give us the information that we need, right? And can create common language so we can talk and make future plans. Too many schools have way too many assessments going on. You got MAP and benchmarks and check-ins and, and uh, MobiMax and Lexia and, and uh, it's just everything. Case, case 21, it goes on and on. How could you keep up? Just pick one, maybe two at the most, but one, one thing that's going to give you the information. We do a quarterly, a trimester, whatever you want to do it, but multiple times, right? Because at the end of the year, it's summative, it's over. You can't do anything about fixing. You need something to drive. Uh, clear identification process for student remediation, right? So this just means like when I was a chartered A school, every day students were taught a lesson and there was a check. It was a check on comprehension, a check on fluency, you know, our math skills, whatever it was. And that, that we do of the lesson, you know, there's I do, we do, that guided practice determined where they went. Okay, we'll get that, that's more, you know, question number three, but if I only got three out of five correct, right, or if I didn't hit my benchmark, then there was some sort of plan, remediation plan. I was checking that off. Uh, built in additional instructional time for student remediation. It's built in their daily schedule. It's not, you know, it's not always after school. It's not always, you know, on a Saturday environment. It's built and embedded in their day, you know, maybe like a double dose or whatever it may call, or maybe it's just even during that particular lesson where the teacher takes those three or four students in a small group. And while the rest of the class is doing, you do, you know, independent practice, I take those two or three and then move them over. And last one is frequent monitoring and accountability for teacher instructional practices. You got to get in classrooms to identify what the heck is going on to make sure teachers are checking for understanding throughout the lesson. If teachers aren't checking for understanding, there will be no mastery with, with the bulk, more than half of your kids. And checking for understanding is as simple as just having a clipboard and walking around the room and giving kids a plus or a minus, right? Or just checking that they wrote the number down or just, you know, checking that they're following along or that they got their book open. Whatever it is, the next step that you just asked them to do, take 30 seconds and circulate the room and make sure kids are moving forward. So those five, right? Common formative assessment, uh, collection and, and analysis process, uh, a quarterly, like an ongoing, you know, kind of summative piece throughout the year to give you the information you need, okay? Uh, a clear identification process for student remediation, okay? Kids don't, don't uh, hit this benchmark, boom, they go into a second class, or boom, they get an extra assignment, or boom, we got an intervention teacher. Whatever it is, there's a, there's a uh, you know, you make a flow chart, you know, so everybody understands build an additional instruction time for that student remediation. So in order to remediate, you know, I have to have a plan for where they go and I might need to do that during the day, right? And I wanna make sure that I'm not taking kids out of classrooms that might be their, their real, you know, strengths, you know, art or, um, you know, P or something to that effect. So if you can build it into the day, that's great. And in frequent monitoring and accountability for teacher instructional practices. When I was a principal at our school, we had, we had, you know, three, the three M's, right? Motivate, um, manage, and mastery. And so it was always our responsibility to motivate, you know, students uh, to manage their uh, behavior. And if we weren't getting student mastery, we had to go back to the first two M's because we weren't doing it. And the goal was to praise the behavior you desire to see you get more of it. That works for adults too. <laughs> get in their classrooms, give them something, okay? So let's talk a little bit about common, just this, this, 
this check for understanding examples in the classroom. I hit on it, um, but you know, circulating classroom, moving, you know, you know, using hand signals, you know, I got it, I'm completely lost, I have a question, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, closing class with exit tickets, right? Just asking one simple question about the learning objective um, or maybe a question that a student still has. Um, you, know, you know, ensuring any work completed by a student gets some sort of feedback or check off or someone's checking. I can't stand when my daughter comes home and like she brings home like 50 sheets of paper and there's not one word on it written by a teacher. Like, you know, then what's the point, right? Eventually, students will learn how to wait out the adult. Just like the adults have learned to wait out you because you're not following through with what you said we were going to do back in August and uh, September. That's the culture of it. Um, you know, it could be a think pair share with teacher circulation, whatever. No opt out cold calls. Teach, uh, teach it like a champion. The first couple of chapters has a really great, um, you know, lots of lists. So there's, so there's so many things you can do for check for understanding, but just using that uh, question when you're walking around, how, how will you know students have learned what you taught, right? So that first has to come with what was the learning objective and how are you identifying that they've learned it, right? So those are, those are the first two really, really important um, aspects of your education plan. What are they going to learn and how will we know uh, that, that they've learned it? And, and don't, this doesn't take a, a brain aneurysm to figure out. I mean, the data collection process could be easy. Like I, I've already talked about a clipboard, right? To just with, with the students' names and, a, and an easy plus uh, minus. I mean, it could be anything, but teachers should not be moving forward with the lesson until they have all the students on board with them. Okay. And there's a, there's a flow chart to kind of determine how that goes. So you, you 80% go head on to independent practice. You 20% come over to me and, and, you know, we're going to redo it. Right. So you're not constantly stopping class, um, you know, for that. And, and there's always outliers, right. But it's, 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 it's about that training process and continuing uh, to go through it. The next level of that might be a common um, five question assessment, right? Through a coach book or one of your resources. And every single week during your PLC meetings, everybody uploads their data about these five common questions. And we're looking at what are kids learning? What are they not? And you want to make sure that your, that your weekly assessments matches up to your daily formative assessments, right? And you want to make sure that your, that your weekly assessments, you know, you know, align if you've got something per month or something per quarter, but you want to make sure that there's alignment metrics so you can make tweaks along the way, right? Small, minor tweaks that are going to give you the most powerful consequences, right? The most powerful positive consequences is what you want to look for. What are those high leverage tweaks that you can make in your instructional plan to get you to uh, the next level? And I've already, you know, kind of talked about this, but in underperforming schools, we find that they got just too many assessments in in place, right? So, um, you know, they're just they're just missing it. They're uh, you know they'll collect lots of data but never do anything with it, right? So then it just becomes like a checkoff, and it takes away a lot of valid instruction time, and and um, you know nobody ever makes a decision upon it. So just be very conscious. I mean, how much time are we spending? giving assessments in our, you know, in our school and, and how could we make it easy, right? As, as uh, my colleague and partner and friend Jeff Gorski always used to say, he stole from Tim Ferriss, what would this look like if it were easy? Stop making it so hard. 
Um, in this book, in this book that we're reading right now, and a lot of the information I'm sharing with you came from this, uh, Michael Schmoker's Focus. This is the second version of it. He tells the story of Best Buy and how you know Best Buy was in real uh, trouble financially, and they did an analysis and they and he did some stakeholder surveys and they identified that the one thing that the stakeholders loved most about Best Buy is the knowledge of the um, employees about the product. So you know what they did? They cut the things that they sold by half, and they said if they if they if we could just increase their knowledge and on, on less things, we're going to sell more because that's what we identified. And when I read that, I said, holy crap, that's a school. It's the same thing. We asked teachers to do all this stuff. I mean, they're in charge of everything, character and social development, kids' health, safety, learn. I mean, they are maxed. So what is the high leverage tweak that you can get the greatest powerful, stunningly powerful consequences in a positive way? Okay, so think, so think uh, through that. Okay, so those are the first two. What will we learn, right? And how will we know that they learned it? So, and here's, here's uh, part three. I've already kind of given you um, some, 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 some hindsight on this, but what are we prepared to do when they do not master the lesson taught? And what are we prepared to do when they do master uh, the lesson. So along with, a, you know, to buy into school's mission, purpose, and vision and education plan, the highest performing schools that I, that I uh, have encountered in, in my research uh, have a learning culture and expectation that every student has the ability and the right to master the curriculum. But every principal of these high performing schools reiterated that they have to, they, that they've had to terminate the contracts of really, really good content teachers because they were not able to function as part of the collegial collaborative environment in which student learning comes first. Teachers who didn't display these behaviors, they were coached heavily or their, or their contracts were uh, terminated. So a high performing school's culture and success outweighs a teacher's content knowledge. So I want you to think through that. As you're getting to do, what are we prepared to do when they do or do not master lesson? You gotta have the right mindset to get there as part of the plan because culture eats vision for breakfast. And if your culture's not good, it's gonna be hard, right, to make these uh, changes, but it just makes sense. These three questions are just too easy, okay? So th this means that, 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 that the teachers you have need to collaborate, uh, collaborate and brainstorm to identify approaches to support that student learning. But some schools, they just built additional instruction times in their day while other schools extend the school day, uh, you know, for, you know, you know, maybe four days a week, and then uh, provide that extra time um, to to um, increase their instructional time during the day, and then maybe they use that fifth day for professional development for the adults. Uh, some schools utilize specific instructional programs that provided specific benchmark assessments and baseline scores that triggered the teacher to reteach, and that's kind of how I was explaining. I know Franklin Academy does this, and we did it at uh, Charter Day School. If a student didn't hit their fluency goal for that day, the book basically told me. I mean, it was rocket. It wasn't rocket science. The books reteach this lesson to these two kids, right? Send these three kids over to do their independent practice. Reteach, you know, uh, phonemic awareness, right, or uh, blend sounds, or whatever it was that they were struggling with. 
you know, there was a reteach there. And, and, and some of the assessment tools that you guys have, it does that. MAP, MAP uh, provides you, uh, you know, lesson plans, basically. But it's about, it's about having the plan on the front end and being proactive so you're not being reactive on the back end. And, and I know your master schedules are already crazily filled with things. So we couldn't possibly do one more thing. So what would it look like in the classroom environment, right? So I do. Here's the learning objective. I'm modeling, I'm, I'm a teaching, I'm checking for understanding on the I do. Great, we do some guided practice along the way. There's a couple of practice um, you know, questions and we're, and we're diving in and these guys got it and I got my clipboard and I'm you know, like assisting where I need. If I'm, if I'm walking around and I identify that, the, that most of the kids or half the kids don't, don't have it, guess what, I gotta go back to I do and I say, all right, uh, pencils down, eyes on the board. I'm going to model this again, and then we're going to practice another one again. So I'm going to model what that skill is that they're missing. Uh, there's, it's it's all a cyclical uh, process to go back and enduring. So then, then you got the kids that have mastered the uh, guided practice, and then the, during we do time, you just let those those kids that got it do their independent practice or their centers or their anchor activities, whatever you got them doing which you have to have a plan for. The other kids, you take over and you reteach that skill that's needed. They can, you can build that into your daily lesson plan. It's the practice of, of the most effective teachers. So those were the three questions that we have always utilized when, we, when we've worked with schools. Uh, if you read Michael Schmoker's book, Focus, it's a big part of those, those two. Um, because he he talks about what we'll teach and how we'll teach it, and his third uh, question is more on on authentic literacy. But it's the same aspect. You got to be able to focus on less things so you can do more, right? Remember, eighty percent of your outcome is going to come from twenty percent of your input. So if you're frustrated with your education plan, start by asking that first question. Ask the teachers to identify what is our education plan, what is the curriculum that we're supposed to use. How do we teach it? How do we know kids learned it? And if they don't learn it, what do we do, right? Take those uh, questions into the next staff meeting and get people talking about what is it that we're really trying to accomplish here. So that's my lesson for today. I hope it added value to you. You have the ability to unmute yourself if anybody has any thoughts or questions, but I would love to hear what's working at your school based on these three, uh, three uh, questions. Um, what, you know, what is another good example uh, that, you know, we could share across the state uh, to get there? Or, you know, maybe there's something I went, I went too fast. So I'll open up the queue for you. So I'm going to unmute everybody. Uh, if you don't want to talk, go ahead and meet your own line. I'll give you a 10 seconds to do that in case we got someone who wants to share in. All right. Uh, this is Ted from Brevard. Hey, Ted, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. We're currently reading Focus as an instructional support team. Um, and I love that book. I read it about seven years ago. And uh, so we're, we're right in line. And I, I feel like one of the places that we need to really focus on is our common formative assessments and data analysis and looking at that 
Now, I, I have some questions for you. When you talked about, you, you mentioned um, different assessment programs. For example, MobyMax. Like we used, we use MobyMax as uh, we use it as a remedial tool or an enrichment tool, um, as well as Compass Learning. So, our when you talk about benchmarks and you talk about how are we assessing how we're doing on things, we're really using. What I'm looking at is I'm looking at um, we're looking at map data and our regular intervals, beginning of the year, middle of the year, end of year, to see how are students progressing on map, and then we're using these other tools such as Max, Compass, to chart progress through in between, as well as daily checks for understanding. Um, what do you What are your thoughts on that? So, so I think you said a couple of really key things here. You said, one, um, this is what we're looking at, right? This is what we're checking. So the fact that you are utilizing it is, is a very big positive. What I would ask you is what I asked at Charter Day School when I got there is like, well, which of these programs is working for us and which one and, and, and how do we know, right? Which one's giving us the best information? Right. And, and how do we know and how are we using it? So if you can answer those uh, questions and you feel that you're getting a good return on investment because we didn't really have an answer. We did three different things. We did IXL, Classscapes, the third one's escaping me, but we had these three and they were extra things for the teachers to do, extra expectations. So I wanted to make sure that we weren't burning out our teachers with something that we weren't prepared to actually utilize to make a decision on. Right. So I think that's where that alignment piece really comes in, Ted, for you and your team to really every year evaluate. Um, I remember uh, when I was in charge of a charter school, um, they had a, uh, um, a Spanish program online with uh, Rosetta Stone or whatever it was. Right. And they I they fought with me and fought and fought and fought about this was the right program. I said, fine, show me the data. Show me how many times kids have logged in and how much time they've been logged in for. And after two weeks, we had one student logged in in the entire school, one, right? So there was an intentionality around it. So, so, that, so you know, to go back, it's good intentions versus intentional actions. The good intentions is I have the program because someone else is using it or it was recommended or you know, whatever. The intentional action is we use this program specifically to do X, Y, Z, right? So maybe it's part of your flow chart so the teachers understand this is why we use MobyMax. This is the information that it gives us. And this is what we would like reported on once a month or once a quarter, you know, based upon the uh, success. Does that, does that help? That, that does, absolutely. And I'm actually, I'm, I'm creating a uh, educational program review right now. This is something that we've been talking about in school improvement is just listing out everything that we do and deciding is there something that does it better or is this a duplicate of other information? So I think, I think that that's really, I think that that's good to figure out, okay, what, what information does it give us? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, those things aren't cheap. They're not free. <laughs> right. So if you can right. use instructional uh, dollars you know, somewhere else, then, then I would do it. Uh, but we just found that a lot of schools have a lot of things going on and there just wasn't clarity, right? Everything needs a why, like, why do we do this? Because I'm not going to buy in if I'm just being told to do it. I'm going to do it the bare minimum. 
Um, right? So that's why we see when we go into schools and like, well, this grade level does this and that grade level does that. It's like, okay, well, what's the, what's the alignment? You know, I mean, you know, if you're reading the book in the newest version, like he specifically talks about how vertical alignment and just, you know, clarity net is so important. So you can have common conversations and you know, kids are moving up the ladder. Um, so you don't waste, you know, an instructional day, uh, you know, coming into the next year. That was good. Good question. Anybody else have any thoughts or questions or, or maybe a program that they would like to say that really, really gives you the answer to those three questions? Yeah. Hey, this is Jeff Gorski of Vision Science Academy. How are you doing today? Hey, Jeff. Welcome. <laughs> hey, so uh, I was, when I was listening through your, your list of five there, I was really happy to kind of check them off as far as things that we're doing, uh, as far as providing, you know, time dedicated and uh, regular benchmarking. And so what I'd love to ask you uh, or ask the group is about kind of where you'd go next in your, in your, in your, uh, your mission to make this effective, um, given kind of this, this self-fulfilling loop that we've settled into in December, where we've got, we use iReady uh, for benchmarking three times a year. Today actually is our middle of the year uh, iReady benchmark. So we're kind of right now, and the discussion in the first, or I'm sorry, we're coming into a new set of data. It's gonna give us growth. You know I love data, so I'm super excited to get this information. But kind of the discussion that we've been in for the first half of the year has been, okay, we're using iReady. We have our dedicated intervention time at the end of the day. That's when it's built for the schedule. We've got students spread out across all teachers to try and reduce the group size. And we've got so many kids who are working on the skills that are identified through iReady, the, the targeted skills that they need to improve, whatever their gaps are. For example, if a seventh grade student is performing on grade level, but only at fourth grade level on their vocabulary, that's identified for mm -hmm. us through iReady and they're given, you know, lessons and materials that address that specific deficit. So, so we, where we get right now is this, this, this time where we're about to evaluate the effectiveness of our iReady usage and try and figure out how we need to change up our intervention strategies, given that right now we're facing a lack in motivation from the students to do the work that's targeted for them because mm -hmm. it's the hardest stuff for them, Yeah, you know, and it's not led by content area specialists. So I'd just be curious, mm -hmm. kind of what guiding questions would you be bringing to the table this stage? You've got fresh data and a fresh program that you're trying to decide where to go next. Yeah. Great question. Kind of, it kind of reminds me of back in my first couple of years when we would have all these really brilliant data sheets and then I go, all right, now what, <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> I mean, these are lovely. Exactly. We spent a lot of time to get here. So I would think, so, so, so here's a couple of things, Jeff. Um, and I would love for anybody else. We got, we got uh, 10 or 11 really strong professionals on the, the line to uh, chime in here. But um, I started to think about, um, you know, just problem solving, right? So, so, so just, you know, going back to uh, uh, Michael Holland's quote, which is in uh, Schmoker's book, he said, <clears throat> he said that the key to success is neither innovation nor technology. Rather, it's the abiding commitment to the smallest number of high leverage, easy to understand actions that unleash stunningly powerful consequences, right? So when you do this evaluation, 
And if you find some problems, you know, you, you kind of got to go through the checklist. Well, why do we have this problem? When did this problem occur? So I heard a couple of things you said was students aren't necessarily motivated, right? So because it's in their areas, it's, it's in their deficit-based education. And one thing I used to really focus on back in the day is, look, we need to teach adults and kids and humans to, to build their strengths, right? To build on their assets and to manage their uh, deficits, right? So how could you change the platform of the intervention class to understand what kids are good at, like what particular skills are they good at to be able to teach them the foundational skill to be better at that other piece, right? We're, you know, kids have deficits. I mean, everybody has a deficit for a reason. And we hammer kids on deficits and that until they hate school. Right. So how do we how do we build a more relational based asset based education intervention program that tricks the kids almost into doing that foundational skill that you would need? I'm not a thousand percent sure what that would look like, but that's I think what I would be asking if I was sitting amongst your team and and and, you know, the data said it seems like a motivational issue. Okay, well, how do we intrinsically motivate human beings as, as we really have to do something that's based upon their interest, right? And really seek to understand and have some sort of common language about that. And, and maybe just understand that, look, this deficit is a deficit for a reason. I mean, you know, you know this, you, you know, worked with, with, with me for years that, you know, people have reward zones and return zones and the things that, that suck the life out of them are the things that, kill their heart, you know, that they don't want to do. So make sure you're not killing the kid's heart and you're not killing the teacher's heart. You know, what's a way that you could teach these needed skills um, so they can at least manage those uh, deficits uh, uh, to get there. And then, you know, maybe it's about taking more time at those schools like, you know, Henderson and Triangle Math and Science and just kind of spending some time with them to ask them, what are the things that they were doing? Because they, they listed it. And I think I shared out the PowerPoint to everybody in the consortium all the things that they do. I mean, it was a really high level and it was mostly like robotics and science programs and Olympiad and things like that were really, you know, like getting these kids involved into, into other levels of the education plan, which was, you know, building that trust and, you know, teaching those. Other um, hopefully I gave you one good thing to think about uh, there, but that would be my answer, but I'm happy to open it up to anybody else. Well, and I, I have a question for that. I wanted to I wanted to follow up with it too. This is Ted again from Brevard, and so this is our second year of having a dedicated intervention time. Um, it's our intervention, uh, it's our intervention and enrichment time. And so during that time, there's a, there's a time of thirty minutes throughout the day that students are they're grouped by where by where they're performing um, within those within those uh, benchmarks that we talked about last year we had it and I, I think it's 35 to 40 minutes I can't remember off the top of my head let me let me look and see um, but yeah we have it as we have it as about 30 minutes in each class and in each grade and what we what we found last year when we did it was we did it all at the same time and so we had it across all grade levels, and we struggled with 
being able to put the best experts into the intervention time. And we also struggled with, because that's the time that we have volunteers come in, it's the time that we EC teachers work with students, it's the time that our AIG teachers are, are working with. And so what we found was that by doing it all at the same time, we weren't able to use our personnel as effectively. And so this year what we've done is we've staggered it, and, but we have it in clusters. So like sixth through eighth grade has it at the same time. So that allows all those teachers and staff members who are in, in that cluster, EC, AIG, and then the subject area teachers, they have the ability to group and regroup across grade levels um, according to data. Um, what we're looking at, and I'd love some feedback on this, uh, is we currently have two elective periods. So we have specials each day. Um, and in our middle school, you get the opportunity where you get to start choosing your own. Uh, and then there's one that's always required. It's very similar if anyone's familiar with the middle school model of a wheel. And one of the things that we're looking at doing that can address, that I'm hoping that we'll start to address that, um, that motivation piece is we are looking at during one of those elective times during that week time where it's, that's the required time, uh, is actually using that as a second intervention period for students who are, who need significant remediation. And, and talking with the kids and saying, because one thing that we sometimes see in MAP is, well, they're, they're just, they're not giving it their best effort. You know, we have all this other data that shows that they can do it, but then they get to MAP and they bomb. Well, they might be bored with, with that or, or um, just not interested in doing well on MAP. And so I want to use that as a carrot to say, hey, listen, if you want that second, that second, that second wheel, you've got to show us that you're, that you're at the level where you need to be at. Um, and we want to see you performing at that uh, because our mission is academic rigor. That's, that's what we're about. We want to see you be academically successful with a rigorous curriculum. So that's one thing that we're looking at. And I'd love to hear some ideas around. And hopefully, Jeff, that gives you, that will give you some insight. And then the teachers, when they group for those intervention times, they're supposed to be regrouping. What they do is they regroup every two weeks. So they decide what the skill is that they need to look at. They group. We've got a tracker for that. Um, and that also tracks motivation as well. And, and so whoever is running that small group then gives that back to the teacher. And then when we get together and talk about map data at those three times during the, during the year, we have an opportunity to say, okay, well, what were the interventions that were going on during that, during that remediation time for um, this particular student? Yeah. So two. Awesome. Th Thank you. Yeah. And two, <clears throat> two uh, thoughts there for uh, both of you. I, I would go back to the um, what's what's the real crux of this problem, right? So if you want to, you know, if you got bad fruit, you got to you got to dig up the roots of the plant. So I would also go back to your teachers instructional practices to the vehicle that they're using and making sure that they have good check for understanding practices because if a kid bombs or doesn't do well in those uh, larger assessments you know you you should have the data in in place to show hey they're doing great on weeklies they're doing great on dailies it's when they get to this part is where they really struggle uh, but I, I would 
I would first take a look at the check for understanding practices of those teachers. That would be the first thing I would do. And then the second thing I would do is you kind of reminded me of um, when I was at the Franklin Academy uh, doing my dissertation. I remember uh, Jeff and Ted and everybody else out there, when kids were sent to this intervention to the systems for prevention intervention class, there was like a, um, there was a specific target. And so students knew that every day I would come to this class, I would be working on this for 15 or 30 minutes, whatever it was. And at the end of two weeks, I was gonna retake an assessment. And if I did well on that assessment, if I scored the 80% or whatever the benchmark was, I got out of that class. I didn't have to go to it anymore. Okay, so there was some motivation behind it and there was some real uh, purpose and intention. So they weren't just adding all these remediation kids that were stuck in this class forever. So that's maybe another thing to think through is so to go back to the instructional practices of the teachers in those classrooms where most students are kind of, you know, showing some deficits and make sure their you know, practices are strong. And, and, and the second would, would be, how could we build this system where kids have a, a very clear start and end of this, of this intervention class, right? So maybe that's going to take a small percentage of those kids out of that environment um, that, that, that can get in, right? So it's not, a, it's not a consequence, but it's like, hey, everybody needs to understand why we do something. Everybody needs to understand, you know, clarity. If you have done any DISC personality uh, profiles, you understand that everybody's uh, personality and how they perceive things is, is uh, different. And so if I know, you know, this is what I got to do and, and I trust the relation and I have a really engaging teacher or like engaging program or lesson to uh, be working on, and I know in two weeks I'm going to take a test to, to prove that I can do it then maybe that's, you know, part of, um, you know, part of the process that might be able to help you guys. Awesome. Any more thoughts or questions? Uh, I like, I like that graduation plan, Tom. We were just, I was just talking with um, one of our volunteer coordinators who does some remediation work too. And I said, well, how does a kid get in? How does it, how does a kid get recommended to work with you? Right. And, and then I, and then it was, well, how do they, how do you know when you stop working with them? Right. So, you know, what's the graduation? I have a question off of the navigate call. I listened to it this morning, but I'll wait until this is over to ask that. Sure. Well, go ahead, Ted. You can ask it. So, um, it actually, it wasn't off the navigate call. It was just off of one of the modules. In there, you said that um, the board has to sign off on all contract renewals and um, and non-renewals. Is that correct? So the board should uh, definitely vote on um, any contract, right? So if it's a non-renewal, it might be like this. Um, you've got eight, you got 20 teachers on staff and you're, mm -hmm. You're say, hey, uh, members of the board, these are the 18 teachers that I would like to offer um, an extended agreement to. If I'm a board member, I may ask, is there anybody who's currently employed who's not on this list? <laughs> right? And you could say, yeah, there's two. And so they may or may not want to go into closed you know, session to just make sure that they're aware of who those two uh, people are. Um, so then you have a vote, right? You've got a vote on the renewal. So the, so the important part of that, Ted, and everybody out there is that 
your board has a clear understanding of your action plan towards non non renewal. Right. So gotcha. the more okay. you educate them on, hey, here are all the things, the 90 days that we spent or whatever it is that we typically do. If I'm going to bring you someone who's not going to be renewed for a contract, they've already gone through all this. And I and I have proven that I have the data to do that. So so as you build trust and relation, you probably won't won't get a uh, question as much as you would maybe on, you know, maybe the first year that you do it that way. But I always say the more you can educate the board on your practices around hiring, firing and non-renewals, the less uh, painful the uh, conversations will be at a board meeting. So if I said that they have to, then I'm, I, I misspoke. If, I, I hope I said that they should. Uh, vote for all that, but there are some schools that don't that don't vote. I think it's a bad idea because it offers zero protection for the school leader, and like eventually they're just king of the castle and they're just working in a silo. And then eventually, when there's all this turnover um, that you know finally comes to fruition, right, and awareness of of of, of the board of the stakeholders. It, it turns into a problem. So, so you want the board's backing on on all those major things. Yes. Okay. Well, good. So, so my so our vehicle for doing that is when when I start to create a budget, when the finance team starts to create a budget, we start to create a budget based on personnel. And so, if we have someone who's returning, their salary is built in there. Yeah. Yeah. And, but as long as it's just clear. Yeah. Just make it clear that these are okay. I got you. Yeah. So you. you can make it clear that when when you pass the budget, you're also passing the uh, positions that are included in the in the personnel line item. And what you could say is like if if you would like a list, right, of 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 what that looks like, right, then then that's fine. I've seen leaders do that too. When you pass the budget, right. So if you're going to you know pass a Two two million dollars is in the personnel line item, you know. And if you want to bring someone in like a month later because you have a problem, I I always ask, well, how does this impact the budget? And they say, well, we actually budgeted an extra seventy five thousand in the personnel item. It's not going to impact. Or I had to move forty five thousand from this and that. So the more that you can just educate them, Ted, on the process to get there, the better you're uh, you'll be. And you always have that um, vote in. Uh, in 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 the school's legal action, that's what the board minutes are. I mean, they're they're a, they're they're you know evidences of of you know the action. So I could come back as an employee said, board never voted. This this you know wasn't fair, and I was never you know given due process or anything like that. And and then there's no evidences that you did bring it to the board. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. I feel good. I I feel good about the process. And I don't know if you said it, Tom, or if it's in the module. My board chair asked me about it, and I said, "Well, I think that I think that what we do because I do that when we come up with the, you know, when we talk about the budget, there's a personnel list that goes along with that. So, and then if we have anyone who's not being renewed, then we do discuss that in closed session. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Very good. Yep. All right. Well." We're about to the top of the hour, so great call, everybody. And so what Ted was just talking about is another program we had, which is Navigate, which is for charter school boards. It's a self-driven online professional development program. 
which has a monthly live component and you know resources and uh, content. So I'm glad your board chair is getting some value out of that. Uh, and what you know you just went through. If you're not part of this, is our charter school blueprint for success uh, program. And there's three. There's three levels of this. There's a weekly call uh, that happens three times a day on Wednesdays, nine, noon, and eight, and eight o'clock at night. And then that's you know archived, so it tries to be flexible for your schedule. Uh, we have uh, school leader resources, so we build out checklists. We you know uh, uh, try to share templates of anything we can find that you guys need. And then there's also teaching videos in there that are going to focus around the characteristics of effective schools mission education plan and we're really excited in the next couple of weeks we're going to have a brand new portal uh, so we will no longer be using google drive we'll, we'll be using an online where you'll have your own uh, module and you can um, uh, uh, check off the lessons you've listened to and so then you have a clear uh, process through so if you want to learn more about blueprint uh, we would love to have you in we've got um, a limited time uh, special going on but it's it's great like you know someone like Ted I know sometimes he he brings his whole leadership team in on the call and then they listen to the call and then they think through and they talk as a team it's part of their weekly professional development system so uh, so we love uh, we love uh, blueprint and we're excited to bring it to you because you guys are on an island and you really really need constant content in your head and you know someone to reach out to to ask those questions like Ted just asked a couple of them about his school so that's what we're here for so Thank you again, everybody, for investing your time today. And uh, we will send this out as, a, as an archive uh, to everybody on, on the call. Have a great day. And, and, um, and I believe in you, and I believe in your dream. Looking forward to talking to you soon. Bye-bye.